The Bible is the Word of God and contains everything that is necessary and sufficient for our salvation. And the Word of God is what we build our beliefs and our practices on as Christians. If you believe this, say amen. 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 Some things in the Bible are very clear and straightforward and easy to understand. For instance, in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, it says, Do not murder. That's pretty clear and easy to understand. Other teachings from the Bible require you to think a little bit more. Require you to use your brain. And among those deeper doctrines the Bible teaches is the Trinity. And so today I'm going to do my best to mine the depths of God's Word to show you that Christians worship the Trinity. If you are ready to learn, say amen. amen. All right then. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And the voice of heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now this verse may sound familiar. It, it is the story of Jesus' baptism by his cousin John in the Jordan River. What I want to point out for you today is how the Trinity is embedded in the story of Jesus' baptism. Who is being baptized? Jesus. Who descended upon Jesus? The Spirit. Who speaks from heaven? God the Father. So here in this story, all three persons of the Trinity are revealed. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now that word, Trinity, that we use is never written in the Bible. You can do a word search for Trinity, you will not find it in the Bible. It's never literally written, but it is definitely there. It is embedded throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Let me give you some examples, just some. From the creation story in Genesis, the first book, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, the pronouns that are used there in the original Hebrew are plural, us and our. And that's why we translate it as we do in English. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. That's plural. And in the Trinity, there is three. And the God who created us was a, was a plurality. Then in the, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 48, verse 16. In Isaiah, the, the Messiah speaks to Israel in a prophecy and says, And now the sovereign Lord and his spirit have sent me with this message. And so in this we have the Messiah, 
We have God the Father and God's Spirit speak, you know, involved in this commissioning. Then in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, the Father and I are one. So here we have the Father and the Son being mentioned together, and Jesus is saying we are one. And then in 2 Corinthians, another example, chapter 13, verse 14, it reveals the Trinitarian greeting that was used by early Christians like Paul, and it's used in many of the letters. It was just common usage for Christians in the early church. And here in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so we have in these just a few examples. There are over a hundred passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that show this kind of Trinitarian language. I'm not going to read them to you all because uh, I know you want to get home today. If you believe that, say amen. All right. So just take, take my word, but go home and open your Bible and look through it or get on your computer. There are lots of tools now where you can search through the scriptures using search tools. You can find these places where the Bible uses Trinitarian language. Initially, in the early church, no one questioned or even tried to define the Trinitarian nature of God. It was just assumed. Jesus... The Son of God taught in terms of his relationship to God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The twelve apostles carried on this tradition. And in the beginning, the early Christians, they had some really pressing problems to deal with. They were trying to spread the good news about Jesus as as far as they could, while at the same time uh, facing persecution and imprisonment and even death because they believed in Christ. They didn't really have time to worry about trying to define what was the Trinity. They just knew what it was. But eventually, some people began saying that Christians believed in more than one God. There was Jesus was a God, and the Father was a God, and the Holy Spirit was a third God. And people accused them of this. And others people uh, tried to rank the three persons of the Trinity... They try to say, well, you know, there's the Father, he's the ultimate God, and then there's uh, God created Jesus, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, and these are lesser gods or angelic figures, and so they tried to talk about it in these terms. And the church had to say, what is it that we really believe about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Because those ideas uh, that people were saying that we worship three gods, or that Jesus was created by God, or that they're like deities but not as high as God, those ideas are contrary to Scripture. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, the Word, Jesus Christ, the Son, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So right there in the first chapter, the first verse of John, it's telling us that Jesus and the Father are one. And Jesus was not created, he was there in the very beginning. He was with God, and he was God. And so eventually Christians needed to define the Trinitarian nature of God to dispel these misunderstandings. And they said a number of things. They said, there is only one God. 
Christians are not, do not worship three gods. We worship one God. In unity with what the scriptures tell us in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. We do not worship multiple gods. There is only one God. And that's who we worship. They said there is only one God. And they said that God, though, is three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you see in the triangle that there is one God, but he is represented as a Father, and as a Son, and as a Holy Spirit. God is the Father. God is also the Son. And God is also the Holy Spirit. But those three persons are not the same. The Son is not the Father, So that when Jesus, I mean, it wouldn't make any sense. How could Jesus pray to the Father and have a conversation with him? It would be like he was talking to himself. But it's not. He is actually talking to a distinct person. He's talking to his Father. And the Holy Spirit also is separate and distinct from the Son and from the Father. And yet somehow, mysteriously, all three are God. I didn't say it was easy, but this is the best that we have. And the early Christians said that also God is not created, God is eternal. In other words, God did not create the Son, nor did he create the Holy Spirit. They have always been God. They have always been God. They are eternal. As John 1 says, in the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God. And nothing is created that, nothing was created that was not created by Him. And God didn't create Himself. He always was. He was eternal. Again, that's not easy to understand. How can there possibly be something that has always existed? That boggles my mind. Amen? But that's what we believe. That's what we teach. Now, undoubtedly, and I have heard this, and I've even used this myself, because we we are trying to describe something that's indescribable, and we look for something that we have seen and experienced that helps it make sense. And undoubtedly, somebody will come and they will say, I've got an easy way to explain the Trinity And you can use this in your next sermon. And they'll use the example of water. And the illustration is, you know, there's water, which is one thing, but it exists in three different forms. There's ice, and there's liquid water, and then there's steam. I love that. I mean, it makes sense. But even that does not capture what we're saying about the Trinity. Because here's the thing about water... Water is either ice or liquid or steam. It is not all three of them at the same time. And what we're saying about God is that God is all three at the same time. God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit, all at the same time. And there were some Christians who tried to argue that God is one, but 
he appeared in three different forms at different times. Sometimes he would appear as the Father, sometimes he would appear as the Son, sometimes he would appear as the Spirit. And that is actually a heresy. The church determined that that's heresy is called modalism. And here's why. Why is, it, why, why is that not what we believe as Christians? There's a reason. It's because right and biblical teaching is that God is all three forms at all times. That's what we see in the Bible. Look at the story we read this morning about Jesus' baptism. Did God appear in three different forms? Yes, he did. But he did it all at the same time. In that one story, God is there as the Father and the Son being baptized and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And so if we're saying that, that God appears at different times, as different forms, that's not what Scripture teaches us. Therefore, we believe in the Trinity, where God is three persons, three distinct persons, but he is one God all at the same time. Now, this is some deep stuff. <laughs> and some people might wonder if this Trinitarian stuff even matters. It does matter. If a church does not accept the Trinity, then they are not really functioning as a biblical Christian church. Let me share some reasons why. First of all, Christians believe in one God. Christians believe in only one God. There are some religions, for example, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, that express an appreciation for Jesus, uh, but they believe in many gods. And they will sometimes say that Jesus was a great teacher, or they may even say that Jesus was one of the gods, one of many gods. One among many. But Christians cannot accept this. We believe that Jesus is God. The only God. And the whole Old Testament teaches that there is only one God. There's not many gods. It's very clear. And Jesus said in John 14.5, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So true Christian teaching says that Jesus is not one of the ways. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Christians believe in only one God. Now, there are other one only God religions in the world as well. And it sometimes is said that if there is only one God, then those who worship one God must all be worshiping the same God. However, Christians are different from the other monotheistic religions like Judaism and Islam. Jewish people and Muslims also believe that there is only one God. And those religions will sometimes also express great admiration for Jesus. However, they reject the idea that Jesus is God. For them, Jesus is a a great man or a great prophet. 
but not God. And Christians believe that Jesus is God. Furthermore, we also believe the Holy Spirit is God. And yet we also contend that the Trinity is one God. The Trinity sets Christianity apart from other monotheistic religions. But there's a second reason for the Trinity that I think is even more important. The Trinity shows how God really is love. You have to understand, God is and was and will be completely complete without us. God is and was and will always be completely complete with or without us. Some people have a notion that God created people because he was lonely. I mean, he has existed forever, and it was only God, and I can imagine from my own human thinking that that might seem kind of like loneliness. You're alone all by yourself for eternity. That could be lonely. But God wasn't lonely. God wasn't lonely. God was already in a full and complete relationship before humanity. Because he was the Trinity. My uh, senior pastor, when I accepted the call to ministry, I said, I feel like God is calling me to lead churches, to be pastor that leads churches. And, he says, but, and I said, but I really don't like church politics. I hate church politics, and I don't look forward to a career where there's going to be those kinds of things involved in it. And he said, Chris, just get over that. He said, there is always politics. There's politics in any relationship you ever have. There's politics in your marriage. There's politics in your family. He says, if where there are two or three people gathered, there will be politics. He said, if you have three people gathered together and there's no politics, then you have the Trinity. The nature of God. Where you're in an absolute perfect relationship of love and harmony. There's no competition. Everything is perfect. Uh, and there's only one deity that we know of that is in that situation, and that is God. In God's Trinitarian unity, he was already whole. He lacked absolutely nothing. He didn't need anything. He was not lonely. He was perfectly whole and content and full of love and sharing love within the Trinity. He didn't need anything. So God created humanity and creation not as a means to fulfill some longing within himself, but rather as an overflowing outflowing expression of his deep eternal love. It was love that bubbled forth and created not as a way to get something, but in order to give. Love couldn't help but give birth to creation. Your existence is an expression of God's grace and love. You didn't have to be but God bubbled forth and created you. And thus we learn the true nature of love 
from God's Trinitarian nature. And we are made in God's image. We are made for love and by love. And love is giving, not consuming. And that's hard for us to understand because so much of the kind of love that we experience in this broken world is a thing where, oh, I love that person or because they make me feel good. And it's a consuming thing. You love them for what they do for you or make you feel. But that's not God's love. God's love is the love that goes to the cross and experiences pain and sacrifices his life for us. That's love. And we see that in God's nature as a trinity. Third, the Trinitarian nature of God means that we can truly be saved. Jesus is not a creation of God. Jesus is not an angel or a a superhuman being. The Trinity reveals that Jesus is fully God, but yet somehow mysteriously also fully human. And that's important. Why is that important? Well, if Jesus wasn't fully human, then he couldn't truly understand our situation. How can a a deity that has existed from eternity to eternity understand what it's like to be a a human being who, who wakes up cold, with cold feet in the morning, or who has arthritis, or who has been betrayed by their best friend? How could uh, a deity who is perfect and holy understand anything about what it's like to be a person who's experienced pain and sorrow, but also joy and love? But Jesus understands because he became fully human. Somehow, mysteriously, the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe compressed himself into the limited time and space and perception of a human body. As Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, He gave up the divine privileges of heaven and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Hebrews 2.17 says, It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Yet if Jesus was only a man, it would be great because he can understand us, but he wouldn't have the power to save us. Our problems are too big. Thankfully, Jesus is also fully God. That means that he has the power to save you. He has the resources of eternity to, at his disposal 
no matter how terribly lost you are, no matter how sick with sin is your soul, no matter how awful your problems, nothing is beyond the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection from the grave is the ultimate sign of God's ability to save you. If God can rise, if Jesus can rise from the dead, then he can raise you out of any deadly problem you face. And he will, if you will trust him. Maybe I've given you a lot to think about today. The Trinity is a very, very complex, deep subject. Yet, we can be thankful that the Trinity is so hard to understand. Because it shows that our God is a big God. If God were easy to understand, he wouldn't be much of a God. Listen, I can't even understand myself a lot of the time, right? Why did, I, why did I say that? Why did I act that way? Why did I do that? I don't know. It's not who I want to be, but sometimes I do it, and I don't understand why. If I can't even understand myself, how can I ever expect that I will understand the infinite nature of an eternal God who has always existed, who always will, who made stars and planets that are so far away from us that it takes trillions of years for their light to reach our eyes, who made animals and plants and rivers and mountains so wonderful that we can see all across the globe, but also made microorganisms so small you don't even know that they're there. There are 10 times more microbes in the breath of air you just inhaled than there are people in Whitfield County. And you just inhaled another set. And another one. And our God made all of this. Let us take a moment to try to wrap our heads around that. And also to marvel that this great God gave up the glory of heaven to come into our broken world and die on a cross to save you and me. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for creating us out of love and for continuing to love us even when we turn away. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would save us because we cannot be who we are meant to be unless you do. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.